This sermon was preached at Baptist Church of the Redeemer. For more sermons, please visit bcredeemer.org. Jesus sets before us two ways, and he sets before us two kinds of prophets and two kinds of disciples and two foundations. Really what Jesus begins to do at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is he begins to call us to make a choice. We are either for Jesus Christ or we are against Jesus Christ. We are either following Jesus or we are walking away from Jesus. We are either going to be with Jesus or we will be judged by Jesus. And remember that the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of this world. And so here, at the end of the sermon, the main question that we all must face is this. Will you enter the kingdom of God and live? Our stark choice is set before us in verses 13 and 14. So listen now to the words of Jesus Christ. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus makes clear the choice before us this morning. Will we be subjected to the kingdom of destruction? Or will we enter into the kingdom of life? There are two gates. Which will you enter? There are two ways. How will you walk? There are two destinations. Where will you go? There are two peoples. Who will you be? Let's pause now and go to God in prayer and ask Him to be with us. God in heaven, give us ears to hear and eyes to behold the weight and the grace of Your Word to us this morning. Make us live to You, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name. Notice first that Jesus contrasts two gates. He contrasts two gates, the wide gate and the narrow gate. The choice before us this day is which gate will we enter? One gate is wide, seeming to welcome the masses, granting easy access into its kingdom. And the other gate is narrow, making entrance seemingly difficult and costly. At the entrance of each gate, at the entrance of each gate, will, uh, there's a, it will extol the virtues. At the entrance of the gate, there will be a sign that extols the virtues of its kingdom. But only one gate will tell you the truth. Perhaps it's even best to think not so much of the gates themselves, but of the gatekeepers. Can you imagine the gatekeeper at the wide gate? He shines like an angel of light. He tells you that his gate is wide, allowing you to bring in the baggage of life, that bag of burdens that 
weighs all of us down, that entangles us along the way, but that we dare not take off because in some way it seems so familiar. It seems to even comfort us. Why the gatekeeper might even say to you, through the broad gate the pack is no burden at all. No, any and all are welcome through that wide gate, welcomed by this so-called angel of light. There is no judgment. There is no demands. There is no burden. There is only a promise of happiness and life. But at the narrow gate stands a lion-hearted lamb. He gently and kindly and lovingly tells you the truth. To enter the kingdom of God, you must pass through the narrow gate. The gate is not wide enough for the burdensome bag on your back. And to pass through the gate will be costly to you. It will require the burden to be removed in order to walk through the gate. And he tells you another hard truth. You cannot and you will not remove the burden yourself. He must do it. And so the question is, which gate will we enter? The wide gate is, in a sense, the natural condition of all of us. It is the world into which we're born. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, we are born into a world where we follow the prince of the power of the air, that by nature we are sons of disobedience. And so we are. By nature we turn away from God and we pack ourselves, we pack for ourselves sin upon sin in an attempt to give us life and peace. We take the good things from God and corrupt them. And we take corrupt things and make them worse. The wide gate is the fallen world in which we live. The scripture tells us that God created the world and everything in it. And it was good. And by and through sin, the world is now under a curse. An active rebellion against its creator. The New Testament will refer to the world in a summary sense as the world order that is actively rebelling against God. It is this broad gate through which we all enter as sinful and fallen humanity. And our natural prince, masquerading as an angel of light, standing at the wide gate, the evil one, he beckons us further through that wide gate. The devil calls us into further rebellion against God with the lie that to enter eternal life, we need not lay aside the sinful baggage. We need not walk in accord with God's ways. If the broad gate is the way of the world and the gatekeeper is the devil, then the narrow gate is the way of Jesus Christ. That lion-hearted lamb who stands at the gate and calls us to enter in. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 10, which Billy read for us, I am the gate or I am the door. I am the way in. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Our great need is not to be left to ourselves carrying our own weighty bag through the broad gate. Our great need is the removal of our baggage so that we may enter the narrow gate. And the Lord Jesus is the one that we need. We are unable to enter the narrow gate on the path of righteousness on our own. Instead, we need Jesus Christ to unlock the gate and swing it open to make us able to enter the narrow gate. 
And that's what he does. Where the devil beckons us through the broad gate that leads to destruction, Jesus Christ makes a gate for us to enter the path that leads to life. Where the devil masquerades as an angel of light, Jesus Christ is the gate that leads us out of the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. It is Jesus alone who is the gate. Jesus alone who provides entrance into the path of righteousness. It is Jesus alone who on the cross takes from us our bag of sinful burden and wraps us in his robes of righteousness by faith. None other than Jesus Christ can make a way for us to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, never be ashamed that Jesus is the narrow gate. We live in a broad gate world, but when it comes to God and righteousness and eternal life, do not be afraid to be narrow-minded, brothers and sisters, because we know the way to eternal life is through the narrow gate, through Jesus Christ himself and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus stands at the narrow gate, calling us to enter in, pleading with us to enter by the narrow gate. And as we consider the call of the gatekeepers, standing at the broad and the narrow gate, we are faced with two ways to walk. Two ways to walk. One way is easy, and the other way is hard. One way requires nothing of us, but the other way will be fraught with trials and tribulations. How will you walk? The broad gate leads to the easy way, but what makes it easy? It's not easy because there are no troubles, per se, on the easy way, though that is the hope of so many. The easy way of the world is still fraught with ordinary hardships of sickness and pain, Though many will seek after the easy way because it's peddled as a way of health, a way of wealth, a way of safety, a way of comfort. No, it is easy because at its root, the easy way of the world does not require us to give up our bags. It does not call us to a costly obedience. Instead, the easy way is where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. The easy way is the path of no absolutes. You do you, they might say. It casts no judgment on your lifestyle. It makes no moral claims or demands. It says nothing about what is right and nothing about what is wrong. On the easy way, there is no regard for God and there is no regard for His Word. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the easy way is also the way of self-righteousness rather than God's righteousness. Think of the rich young ruler who went to Jesus asking him how he might attain and gain eternal life. And Jesus told him, obey all the commandments. And shockingly, the rich young ruler says, I have. But Jesus, knowing his heart, told him to sell all he had, give to the poor, and come follow him. Jesus was calling him to follow the hard way, to enter by the narrow gate. And the text in Mark even says that Jesus loved him, had compassion on him. And yet the text also says that the rich young ruler went away saddened 
grieved by Jesus' words because he owned much property. The rich young ruler was on the easy way of self-righteousness and Jesus called him to the hard way of God's righteousness. The Jesus way, the hard way, it follows the pattern of Jesus' life. Suffering, then glory. Costly obedience, then rich reward. Crucifixion, then resurrection. The hard way, the Christian life, is marked by trials from the fallen world outside of us that press in. And the hard way, the Christian life, is marked by trials from within, from our own sinful flesh. And all is led by the schemes of the devil to knock us off of that hard path that leads to life. The normal Christian life is one of crucifying the flesh and persevering against the world and overcoming the devil by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, it is not easy to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But we must. The promise of God as we pass through the narrow gate is justification, to be declared right before God by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But the promise is also our sanctification as we walk along this hard way, putting to death the sinful flesh and bringing forth the new man that Jesus promises us. Brothers and sisters, Are you working out your salvation on the hard way? Are you seeking to be holy because our God is holy? Are you motivated by the promise that as you seek to crucify the lusts of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, that it is God by His Spirit working in you both to will and to work out your salvation for his own good pleasure. It is God's will for you, and he is at work in you, brothers and sisters, to make you holy. Therefore, abstain from sexual immorality, greed, dissension, gossip, laziness, faithlessness. Hear Martin Luther, when he once said that the Christian life can be summarized very simply, as repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Brothers and sisters, press on down the hard way of holiness. It is God's will for you. The hard way is difficult because of our sinful flesh that wages war against us. But it's also difficult because of the fallen world around us. Jesus tells us as much in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in this world you will have many troubles. And the Apostle Paul preached in Acts 14 that through many tribulations or persecutions, we must enter the kingdom of God. The Christian life, that hard way, is as Calvin says, persecutions, which the adversary raises against us with drawn swords and flaming fire. It's also all sorrows, whereunto the life of the godly is subject. It is the ordinary and the extraordinary sufferings along the hard way. The ordinary sufferings of sickness and loss and hardship and death plague us on the hard way as we seek to persevere in faith. The way is also hard because of extraordinary hardships like mockers and scoffers and like opposition and imprisonment and like beatings and even martyrdom. 
The Lord Jesus was ridiculed and mocked. The apostles were mocked by the Jews and the Greeks for preaching the kingdom of God. The hard way means possible legal opposition, possible imprisonment. It was so for the Lord Jesus, and it was so for Peter, who was imprisoned by the high priest, and Paul and Silas, who were imprisoned by the Roman magistrate. And we see this today with brothers and sisters in Christ imprisoned around the world for having entered by the narrow gate and walked the hard way. The hard way also means physical suffering. Verbal assault can frequently lead to physical persecution. Oh, how they beat Jesus. How they flogged him. How they drove the crown of thorns on his head. And brothers and sisters, we are no better than our master. Stephen's stoning, Paul and Barnabas being outrageously beaten and severely flogged and thrown into prison without trial. And of course, physical persecution leads and can lead to the death of the Christian on the narrow way the hard way, for it's the way of Jesus. He's the one who died for his people, the hands of lawless men. And so mocking and scoffing and imprisonment and beating and martyrdom, this marks the hard way, the way of Jesus. And perhaps it's not extraordinary at all. Perhaps one way that we've let the easy way the way of the world cloud our minds, brothers and sisters, is to think that all of this is extraordinary. Lately, I've been reading uh, the stories of English, English Protestant martyrs who were killed by Bloody Mary for opposing Roman Catholicism in 1555. And I came across the story of John Bradford. He was a royal chaplain under King Edward VI, and Bradford was well known as a Reformed Protestant preacher Uh, He was a man of great personal holiness. And when Queen Mary assumed the throne, she immediately imprisoned Bradford and several of his colleagues uh, in uh, in, in trying to squash and quash the uh, Reformed Protestant movement. Bradford was beaten. He was commanded to recant uh, his Protestant faith, to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Bradford refused. I want to read to you from J.C. Ryle's The Five English Reformers of what Bradford endured. When Bradford came to the stake on which he would be burned, he held up his hands and looking up to heaven, he said, O England, England, repent thee of thy sins. Beware of idolatry. Beware of false antichrists. Take heed they do not deceive you. And after that, he turned to the young man named Leif who would be burned with him. And he said these words, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this evening. After that, he spoke no more that man could hear except that he embraced the sticks. And he said these words. Bradford, as he was preparing to die, he said these words. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to eternal life, and few there be that find it. One observer said this, Bradford endured the flames as a fresh gale of wind in a hot summer day, and so in the prime of his life he burned away.
What was true in 1555, what was true in the days of Jesus and the apostles, it's true today. There are thousands of Christians in the world today imprisoned and beaten and killed for their confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must pray for these Christians and prepare our hearts that should God will, that we too might be able to withstand in the hour of such tribulation. We need to prepare our hearts to affirm the truth of Matthew 5.10, what we heard earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we believe that? Can we live that? It could be that we, like John Bradford, that we may be counted one day among those in Revelation chapter 9, chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, those who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. The way of Christ is hard to persevere in the midst of such ordinary or extraordinary hardships in this fallen world is a miracle wrought by the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, God has not left you without aids along this hard path. God has given us the ordinary means of grace to aid us, to keep us, to push us along this hard path. God has promised to aid his people along the hard path of discipleship through his word and by his spirit. God means to keep you, beloved, by the spirit of God through the reading of his word, through the singing of his word, through the praying of his word, through the hearing of his word preached, by seeing the word in baptism, by tasting of the word in the Lord's Supper. And all of this in the context of a local church. As the world wages war, brothers and sisters, and our sinful flesh fights against us, and the devil discourages us from trusting in God through Jesus Christ, know that God will keep you. He will hold you fast on the hard path through the ordinary means of grace. God has not left you walking alone along the hard path, beloved. He has given you each other to love and to care for one another along this hard way. And let me also say that he has given you elders, shepherds, to walk with you along this hard way. The elders of this church, we do not and we will not be perfect shepherds. But our charge before God is to tend the flock of God in our midst. And we do this primarily through the ordinary ministry of his word, but we do this also because we love you and we care for you. And we hope to protect you from harm. 
Our hope is that we can shepherd you along the hard way of life to your glorious destination. And so would you pray for us as we pray for you? The world will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ as we love one another along the hard way. When the world weighs us down, God has given us each other to pick each other up. And when the flesh fails and sin seems to abound, when we stumble on the hard way, we are there to encourage one another along the way, to rescue each other as we go astray, to sharpen each other when our affections for God and his people grow dull. Brothers and sisters, the church, the church is God's means to keep you on the hard way until you reach your heavenly destination. And so we can sing The old hymn that through many dangers and toils and snares we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. There are two gates, there are two ways, and there are two destinations. Each gate and each path leads to a particular place. Where will you go? For, the broad, for broad is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. The end of the broad gate and the easy way is destruction. The path of the world, the flesh, and the devil will meet the judgment of God. Friend, does this sound harsh to you? Christian, does this sound harsh to you? Destruction. Judgment. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, it sounds harsh to us because we are too friendly with the easy way. Perhaps we have let worldliness so cloud our thinking that about what is at stake in this great spiritual war between these two kingdoms that we cannot imagine our king would destroy his enemies. I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out the right words to speak, the right words to describe what Jesus is referencing here, this destination of destruction. But finally, I realized that there are no better words than Scripture itself. So brothers and sisters, friends, listen. Listen to the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. Chapter 19 of Revelation, it says this. Then I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadem, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty." 
On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The broad and easy way leads to destruction. But the narrow and hard way, it leads to life. In Psalm 1611, King David wrote, You have made known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The hard path is the path of life, and it leads to God. It leads to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Friends, you may think that the broad and easy way leads to happiness. But friend, know this. God is no cosmic killjoy. He makes known to us the only way that leads to eternal life and joy. The only path that leads to eternal pleasure forevermore. God cares more for your ultimate joy and satisfaction than you do. And he is the only one who can actually give it to you. And how does he do that? How does he make known to us the path of life? He gives us eternal joy and he gives us fullness of joy and eternal pleasures forevermore. He does this in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gate through which we pass from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. He is the way in which we walk this path of many dangers and toils and snares. And Jesus Christ is the life. He is the one and only who could take the burden of our sin, open the gate back to God. He is the only one who can make a way for us from death to life. And He is the only one who can tell us the truth that if we die in Christ, yet shall we live. And so again in Psalm 16, King David wrote that the Holy One will not see corruption. His body will not see decay. 
And the Apostle Paul preached in Acts 13 these words. Paul says, he says also in another psalm, referring to Psalm 16, Paul says that God says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And then Paul says this, David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up from the dead, Jesus Christ, did not see corruption. And so let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from the burden of sin and death. Brothers and sisters, you have life in Jesus Christ. This is our great hope. Christ, our life, in us the hope of glory. Beloved, do not fix your eyes on the circumstances along the hard way, but look to Jesus, who lives now and forever, and who will never leave you and never forsake you. In this life you will have many troubles, beloved, but Jesus says, fear not, for Jesus has overcome the world. And brothers and sisters in Christ, on that day we will be with Him, our fullness of joy. And on that day, He will be with us, our great pleasure, forever. There are two gates, there are two ways, there are two destinations, and there are two peoples. Jesus goes on to extend this dichotomy to its logical end. There are two groups of people in this life. The many who enter the broad way, the broad gate and the easy way, and who follow the prince of this present darkness. And there are the few who enter the narrow gate and the hard way, who take Jesus as their king. Jesus uses a quantitative language here, many and few. Uh, I don't think that Jesus is trying to set a number on those who will go the easy way or the hard way though I do think it's instructive to us to understand uh, the many and the few. I don't think Jesus is capping those who can enter the narrow gate as if, there's, if one more enters in, there'll no longer be few, so that one can't come. Uh, I don't think that's what he's trying to say. No, I think Jesus is describing qualitatively the two peoples, and he's alluding to this idea of the remnant that we see in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah. You need to remember that Matthew is the Jewish gospel, and so ideas of a remnant in the midst of the many is evident. Think of Jesus' original audience. He's standing on the sermon. He's preaching out to a Jewish audience, and he's preaching a hard way. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, there are many and there are few. And I think that in the midst of that sermon and what's meant for us, brothers and sisters, is that it's meant to humble us It's meant to remind us that God will always have a people. It's meant to encourage us that in the midst of a world that might might seemingly be, be falling apart, that God is at work. When the world around us, we can take heart because God has his remnant. God has his people. There are the people of God to walk with you along the hard path as we talked about earlier. I also think it's meant to humble us. It's meant to humble us, brothers and sisters. Have you considered recently 
why you entered the narrow gate? Why you specifically entered the narrow gate? How you are still on the hard way? Why you've not forsaken that way? Why you've not turned around and changed course and gone the easy way? Have you considered that, brothers and sisters? Be humble. Take heed, lest we fall into the the sin of pride and self-righteousness. And consider the words of the hymn that we sung earlier. Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? When thousands, when many make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. T'was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew you in, else you had still refused to taste and perished in your sin. Beloved, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, you would be on the broad and easy way, headed to destruction. But by the grace of God, you have entered the narrow gate. You are on the hard way, and God will keep you until you reach your heavenly destination and brothers and sisters let me also say this as we consider the few and the many we should make verse 5 of that hymn our prayer I would encourage you during the month of December as we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports missionaries around the globe I would encourage you brothers and sisters to make this your prayer pity the nations O our God Constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring the stranger home. Brothers and sisters, you may be on the hard way. You may be one of the few, but never forget that God has called us to go out to the many and to rescue those who are headed for destruction. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I can only imagine what you think of all the things I've said. I want to leave you with this. Friend, listen closely. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. And so, friend, enter by the narrow gate. Walk the hard way. And find life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven. Only two verses. Yet so much weight to consider. God, we praise you that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the gate. We praise you that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the way. We praise you that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to be our life. God, I pray that those who are here today who do not know this Jesus would today turn from the broad gate, turn from the easy way, and enter by the narrow gate. Walk the hard way.
Find life in Jesus Christ. God, strengthen your church for the hardships and the trials along the hard way. Keep us, Lord, we pray, until we are with you in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the glory of God, Baptist Church of the Redeemer seeks to obey Christ in the Great Commission task of making disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find out about us at our website, bcredeemer.org.